live and in color from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful Southern California and in parallel from the Turfs Up Radio Studio in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Thanks for tuning in to the Water Zone Show this evening. Good afternoon, listeners, and thank you all for tuning into the Water Zone. I'm Rob Starlock and Mr. Chris Davies, and we are your host of the show today, as we are every week. So I guess I should have to say that. You should know us by now. I hope you do. Uh, Mr. Davy, how are you doing today? Hey, we're doing great, Rob. Thanks for asking. You know, uh, it's been so much work since we got back from the four-day holiday, right? The last two days have worked so much, it feels like a week anyway. <laughs> it does. And by the way, how was your... July 4th weekend. Was it great? It was, yeah, it was splendid, actually. Went up into the mountains, got out of the uh, very hot uh, heat in the valley, took the kayaks up there, and uh, even wetted a line, although I have to tell all the listeners, did not get one bite, not even a nibble, not a peck, not a line tug, nothing. You could have stopped at Vons on the way home and just told everybody you caught something. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, get rid of the, get rid of the packaging first. Absolutely, absolutely. Gee, how come it's all cleaned out and everything? But no, no, it was great. It was 215 degrees here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a little, little warm. Uh, our, our circle here had a, a progressive party, and uh, we went. There was like four houses. We did the main course here, so we had about 22 people over. And every house uh, of all the four houses, everybody went swimming to each house that they went to. So it was. Uh, Pretty interesting, pretty different, but uh, good. And then what we did know, because since I moved here, um, we used to go down down the street, and Chris, you've been here, uh, and just looked at stuff by the golf course, because that's where they're shooting off all the fireworks. But since we never stayed in our backyard, I could just sit on my patio and watch the fireworks. We didn't know that until, until the other day. So that, that's pretty cool to know. <laughs> that's great. I'll bring the, I'll bring the beer. Do that, yeah. I'll bring the beer. I, I have beer for you if you're here. Yeah. So what? Go ahead. Yeah, just going to say we should bring Chris Austin on because I have an extremely interesting question to ask her about beer and fish and the homing beacon that beer provides for salmon. So I want to introduce Chris. Well, I will. But the only question is, are you going to use that as a beacon for you? <laughs> <laughs> I think it already is. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And here she is, the uh, purveyor of the wonderful Maven's Notebook, the lady herself, Chris Austin. Hi, Chris. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? Great, did, you, did you have a good holiday weekend? Oh, yeah. It's nice and relaxing, I guess. Not not for the dog that doesn't like the fireworks, but, you know, it was, it was pleasant. Yes. But tell, but tell me the truth here. Did you still work on that day? <laughs> I work every day. <laughs> I know. Okay, good. <laughs> I just I, I don't know what I do. If I didn't work, what would I do? I I I I can't imagine a day I can't imagine what it means to sit there and have nothing to do. If I don't have work to do, you know, there's always something around the house that needs to be cleaned or dinner to be cooked or laundry to be done, so <laughs> Well, I know Chris is burning burning for a question for you, so Chris, go ahead. Um, Miss Austin, I think you're I think you're already aware because it's on the site there, right? And and you know me just from my standard interest. When you put the word fear, <laughs> you put the word fear and fish in the same sentence, 
I'm going to get interested. So, so what's this deal with uh, salmon using deer as a homing beacon? Well, it's kind of an interesting story. Uh, a little background on salmon. You know, salmon are fish that are born in the rivers of California and other places, of freshwater, uh, where they kind of grow up a little bit, then they swim out to the sea, and they live out in the sea for a couple of years, and they grow into big salmon, and then they come back to spawn, and they return to the the rivers that they were born in. Uh, they track this down to just this incredible sense of smell that the salmon appear to have so they can find the rivers that they were born at. And this is quite quite amazing, and this is how it works for wild salmon. The problem is that we have a lot of hatchery-raised salmon, and they don't always get the benefit of getting this imprint of the, the river in which they were, you know, where... Well, I say they're not getting born, but they're getting hatched in a hatchery that's next to the river. Um, and in, in years, you know, when when the conditions are good, like this year, then they can release the salmon into that river, and then it, the hatchery salmon into that river, and then they imprint on that river, and they know that's where to come back to. It gets really dicey when we have bad conditions in the rivers, which is most years, um, and we take these hatchery fish out to San Francisco Bay and we dump them in the bay, and those hatchery fish have no idea where they're, where they're going, um, or where to come back to, and they, go, and they go all over the place. They go to the wrong rivers, they breed with wild fish, which is not good for the genetic pool, and uh, it just causes a lot of problems when these, you know, they really try to not have all these different uh, types of salmon mixed together like that. Um, and it's a problem apparently also up in Oregon. And so in Oregon, they wanted uh, to figure out some way to get the salmon, the hatchery raised salmon, to return to the right stream. So they have some researchers go at it, some scientists, and they started studying, you know, different types of scents, what, what will the salmon respond to, and they were able to figure this out. They did find one substance that the salmon would respond to, uh, but it was very difficult uh, to make in a quantity large enough for like a whole hatchery, and um, uh, and it was also very expensive. So they went back to to work looking for substances that could work to attract the fish. And wouldn't you know, they found the byproduct of of making beer. And there's a name for it. I don't remember, but it's like they they push the beer out, and what they have left over is this like stuff, right? That it all came from, yeah. and yes, and they use that, um, and and they found that that is something that appears to be uh, uh, working in attracting the salmon. So they have some more testing to do, but uh, they actually think that. Uh, the smell of craft beer is what they will use to bring 
uh, bring home the salmon in Oregon. Uh, quite fascinating story, and I and it'll be interesting to see how that will apply to California and elsewhere. Can you visualize Mr. Davy opening a can of IPA, pouring it on his feet in the in the kayak, and then sticking his toes in the water and hoping the salmon are going to come? You're almost reading my mind, Rob. <laughs> I'm going to dunk my face in IPA from now on. All right. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I, yeah, I, I do like that, you know, people are really thinking out of the box on these issues, you know, so who would have thought salmon and beer, you know? So, Actually, it's out of the can instead of out of the box, but that's okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what, so what, what other stories are brewing in water this week? <laughs> oh, gosh, you know, we, we have a, a water war going on in, in carrot country. Water war, water, water war and carrot country, folks. So, so be be forewarned. Your baby carrots are are at stake. <laughs> groundwater. Yes, it's, it's groundwater, and and this is actually uh, something we have a couple of uh, of uh, basins in the state that are kind of in the same situation, um, but in here in, it's in the Kuyama. Valley, which is in the Santa Barbara area in Santa Barbara County, and and they like every other groundwater basin in the state, they are subject to stigma. So they have been putting together a plan, and like uh, you know, most of the most of the plans in the state, you know, they're um, they're very seriously overdrafted, and they have to make some changes. They have to make some cutbacks. You know, it's it's a tough thing. It's it's a tough situation, I think, for some of these basins because this is a very remote valley. Uh, You know, I mean, Santa Barbara is is like over the hill, but there, you know, it really is is not very not largely populated, and it's always been kind of remote, and and so they've had some. uh, large organizations come out there and buy up the big pieces of land and uh you know go go to work. I actually think um harvard university's uh some some arm of ha- Harvard University has grapevines i think out there in the Kuyama valley as well um so these are large organizations that come in and tap into the groundwater. And uh, and really, that's when uh, the groundwater basin really starts to uh, deplete because they don't have, uh, generally don't have the groundwater to support these large farming operations. And it's really tough um, for the people that, that were already living in the basin and the smaller farmers uh, because, you know, the Groundwater Management Act uh, doesn't you know? Doesn't say that you you have to look at the point at which people started using groundwater. You have to kind of treat everybody in the groundwater basin kind of on a, on an even level playing field. And so, in in areas like the Kuyama Valley, 
where these big farming organizations come in, it's a real problem, uh, you know, because they're getting squeezed out. And these large farming operations have a lot of money uh, to fund a lot of litigation. So they're, uh, there's now going to be a groundwater adjudication in this Kuyama Valley. And the people, the large farming organizations have their legal funds and all these other people in the basin, some of them are not even farmers necessarily, just homeowners with a well. Um, they're they're kind of grouping together and hiring lawyers, and the lawyers are making a heck of a lot of money, <laughs> as you as usually is the case. Um, you know, it's 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 tough because uh, you know, in order to balance the basin, they had to give uh, they had to sort out pumping allocations, and there's not a lot of water to go along around, and that's really a problem for these agricultural operations. So you know, we'll see what what happens, but. There's just, uh, but there's a lot of money going to lawyers right now. Unfortunately, uh, you know, by a, a number of people that maybe can't afford to, to participate in what's going to be a very expensive and probably long-running lawsuit. So, there's no such thing as a short-run lawsuit. Yeah. Well, especially um, you know, in in the adjudications. Now we've had some. Uh, some legislation passed that's meant to to streamline the process, uh, and it's just now getting tested. I think there was one adjudication that uh, resolved recently that was the first one to come through after this legislation, but it still is a very long process and a very expensive one in which the lawyers will make a lot of money. <laughs> So we'll see what happens there. Uh, you know, it's it's tough though. And the other place that's dealing with this is uh, that I know about is is Ridgecrest, uh, in which is in the Eastern Sierra, sort of up above Mojave. They have a, a, a air base out there, and they have a uh, factory that uh, mines borax. And uh, and they've been out there and, and living there and doing pretty well. And then in came a whole bunch of pistachio farms. And so now that's become a big issue for them, too, uh, because, you know, they have to split up the pumping amongst everybody. And there's just not a lot of water. And so the uh, agricultural operations in that basin are also uh, filing lawsuits. It gets legal, all the legalities and all the political stuff just keeps coming and coming and coming. It never slows down. No, and and we're just getting into, you know, um, we're just getting into implementation of this groundwater management, and it's it's very tough. Um, And we talk about, you know, can't have one-size-fits-all solutions, and certainly that's the situation uh, that we have with groundwater, but we have a law that is as flexible as it can be, but still, you know, there are some, there are problems uh, with with the implementation of the law. But we have to solve our groundwater problems. I mean, this really is not a 
um, an optional thing. It's not, you know, we don't have to manage our groundwater, but the big meanie state is making us. No, we, we have to manage our groundwater better than we have been. Um, and unfortunately, it means that we have to cut back. But, um, you know, we have to cut back the pumping, and that's going to be painful. And there are people that are going to um, be hurt by that. But if we were to allow groundwater to continue to be pumped at unsustainable rates, and we're going to draw down the aquifers to zero, then everybody loses. Absolutely. Um, Everybody didn't uh, Paul Gosselin from the DWR have a, a webinar talking about the actions to capture excess floodwaters and, and recharge groundwater? Yeah, and they reported some numbers here that I thought were kind of interesting. Um, you know, the estimate is that uh, there's 3.8 million acre-feet that could have been that's recharged capacity but to date, they have 92,000, he said, 92,000 acre-feet diverted for recharge on 88,000 acres, which I thought was kind of, you know, small in a way. If you're, you know, that's, that's like every acre is recharged one acre foot, but not much more than that. And that seems to me kind of small, but I don't know. But, yeah, so they're looking at the numbers, uh, trying to... Um, you know, trying to see how much actually happens. So, you know, the numbers really won't be in until, uh, you know, probably until next year. But there's got a lot going on, no doubt. So. Absolutely. Well, you know, you know this is, I'll stay away from the politics side, but, but, you know, this is getting to be the political season and, and people are, each side's talking about the other side. And, and you know, the ones that talk about the, the, the ones with the red hats, they call them the MAGA hats. I was going to tell Chris I'm going to come up with a new thing and, and have do a blue hat and call it Mecca, make America clean again. And the reason I thought of that is over the weekend or over this holiday weekend, Lake Tahoe, when it was left and people went home after the fourth, they left 8,500 pounds of trash at that place. I know it's it's really it's really shameful. Why do we not pick up after ourselves like that? Why would you ever trash a beach and walk away like that? You know, somebody uh, who will be nameless. Uh, I I picked up a piece of trash somewhere. Um, I can't remember where it was out in the the world, and I threw it in the trash can. And someone said to me that I was taking away work from the people that are paid to pick up the trash. And it's kind of like, what makes you think that people anywhere are paid to pick up the trash? Because they're not. Yeah. (laughs) So if you're out there thinking that, you know, that the government is paying people to go around and pick trash up off the ground, then those people don't exist. (laughs) Yeah. It's like... It's a shame. It's a shame to go to a place and have a great time, and, and and you know you bring your families and stuff like that, and then the next thing you know, the place is thoroughly trashed. I mean, that's horrible. Yeah, um, you know. Now, one cool aspect of that about the cleanup there is that they have a, a robot now that kind of goes and cleans the beach, which is which is pretty cool. 
it could clean up to four inches down in the sand, you know, pick up the stuff and sort it out. So that's cool. But again, you know, yeah, people need to pick up after yourself. But none of our listeners do that. So, you know, because our, our water zone listeners are, are good people. They don't do that. that that's right. Mr. Davy, you got some uh, other interesting uh, topics you want to cover? Yeah, so I read, a, I read, you remember, Chris, Austin, back in May, we did a little segment on Mono Lake and uh-huh. the level that it was expected to rise to. So, you know, I'm going to announce to you guys, I, I follow that, especially there's a website called monolake.org, and it's run by the Mono Lake Committee. Um, just mm-hmm. fascinating, because I love the Eastern Sierra, you know that, right? So... Just kind of a, as a little progress uh, to you guys. So on April 1st, this was, you know, just a few months ago, right? It was about 6,380 feet. That's the elevation for the water level in there. 6,380 feet. So 12 feet above that at 6,392 feet is the maximum that uh, the water authority will let it rise to, right? Because then that becomes uh, manageable then. So... Just so you guys know, they're expecting it to go from 6,380 feet to 6,385 feet in the six months that comprise April, May, June, July, August, and September. And when you think about how large that lake is, and that's only like five feet, that is a lot of water, Chris. Oh, yeah. No, it's good to see it, you know, come back up. They're really trying hard to, to you know, get Los Angeles to uh, to leave it alone because they have a, the ability to divert water. I think depend depending upon the seasonal flows, so that the season seasonal flows are up, they they might be able to ha- take more than they do, and and they're really trying to not have them do that. Uh, we'll we'll see what what happens. Uh, you know, it's hard to it's hard to predict what DWP will do. It yep. is, isn't it? So just with the fact that you're looking at um, the very wet winter and the heavy snowpack we have in the Sierras, especially in the southern Sierras, which which got uh, a higher record of snowpack than did the central or northern Sierras. We've discussed that before, Chris, if you remember. Um, mm-hmm. So all of the southern reservoirs now are looking really, really good. So, I mean, you know, you've got to look at, I'm, I'm sure the State Water Project looks at that in balance, right, and decides, well, you know, we, everybody can't be a winner, and in one year somebody's got to give up, somebody's got to take a little bit. But um, as a proponent of the Eastern Sierra and always keeping track of Mono Lake, I was very encouraged by the report. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, it's a it's a really neat little area to go visit, and I'm really glad, to, you know, that it's benefited from it. And, you know, hopefully, uh, well, well, we'll see what next year will bring. <laughs> yeah, well, even, yeah. If it fills, even if it fills up, Chris, we can, you know, visitors can still see, uh, you know, the Tufa Mounds that are there, um, you know, and the Tufa Oh, Pass, yeah. Mm-hmm. The Tufa Mounds and the Threefa Mounds. You can all. <laughs> That'll be awesome. Well, we're gonna come. We're taking up a up, up with this our uh, commercial break, Chris, and uh, we we really appreciate you coming on every week and uh, giving us the best of the best. Of what's going on in California with water? And uh, don't forget for our listeners, 
Go to Maven's www.mavensnotebook.com, become a uh, listener, a subscriber. If you'd like to be a sponsor of that, you can do so as well and get a report every single morning on your PC, laptop, or whatever you got, your phone. It's the best way to get the uh, all the inf- inside information that you won't read anywhere else. So, Chris, thank you very much for joining us. You're going to be back with us again, as always, next week, and we're looking forward to that. All right. Good evening, everybody. Have a great week, Chris. All right, we'll take a little break, and we'll be back with one of our featured guests who's who's done the show before. But uh, it's going to be good to hear from this person again. So stick around. We'll be right back. KCAA Loma Linda. The legacy KCAA 1050 AM and Express 106.5 FM. Moving up in this industry means getting the most out of each day, so you can focus on growing your business. With Site One, you're in control, and we're here to help. It starts with the right team. Our irrigation pros can help map out a complete, streamlined system that meet any requirements or regulation. And from the first dig to years after install, knowledgeable experts are available in branch, or resources are available online to help find solutions specific to your needs. Next, we make sure you have the right tools to get the job done with the largest selection of top brands in the industry, bringing the latest in Wi-Fi-enabled controllers, rotors, sprays, valves, and drip components. And because hard work should always be rewarded, you'll receive personalized pricing and earn loyalty points on qualifying purchases to help you grow. You're in control. Site One is here to help. Water is one of the biggest expenses for communities, HOAs, universities, golf courses, and resorts. So keeping those costs under control, especially when rates are increasing while water supplies are being reduced, are often essential to a customer's survival. Managing water requires multiple skills, which is why it's been complicated and difficult until now. AquaTrack brings multiple skills and technologies together to help large system users conserve outdoor water and improve the health of their landscapes. AquaTrack's professionals are certified landscape water managers and certified landscape irrigation auditors. The company offers audit services, upgrade advice, technical expertise, and water use monitoring. We already manage irrigation water for the largest homeowner associations in Arizona, and we're prepared to bring our knowledge and experience to help others, including landscapers and designers. Give us a call and hear how AquaTrack saved one HOA some 430 million gallons of water and $200,000 in annual water expenses. AquaTrack is Arizona-based, and you can reach us at 623-594-8689. That's 623-594-8689. This is KCAA. Second half of the Water Zone Radio Show. I'm your host, Chris Davy, along with the all knowing and ever present Rob Starr. Thank you for sticking with us and coming back. We've got a great guest, but uh, just before I let Rob introduce our next guest, I just wanted to do a plug for our colleagues at the Irrigation Association because July is Smart Irrigation Month. And this year, the theme is What's the Value 
of Smart Irrigation. So to find out more, go to smartirrigationmonth.org, all one string. There you can find some resources and information about how you can be part of the annual irrigation initiative. So uh, it takes a couple of minutes, and there's great information on smartirrigationmonth.org. All right, Rob, take it away, buddy. All right. Uh, I'm very excited and happy to introduce the next person to the show. And just for our listening audience, if you've been with us for nine years, this person was the first guest on our <laughs> unbelievable, flubbed-up first show that we did. <laughs> and uh, we've come a long way from that, thank goodness. Uh, but we do appreciate it. And I wanted to have him back on because uh, he just celebrated their his company's 20 years in business. And I'm very proud to say I know this gentleman and worked with him before, uh, Mr. Eric Anderson, who is the president of Valley Soil. Eric, welcome. Hey, uh, Rob, uh, Chris, thank you so much. Uh, I love listening to Mr. Austin. Uh, the gentleman is so educated in a wide variety of uh, water topics that, you know, I can listen to him all the time. But anyway, thank you so much. I appreciate being here. And uh, yeah, that's true. We've uh, we've celebrated in June 20 years in the water conservation field, and uh, we're very happy to do that. I, I, re- I remember that day in the studio, the first the first show, we had severe technical problems with the microphones and other other equipment that was happening at the radio station, and it was it, it felt like a disaster to me at the time. But you and uh, Ryan McManus, who was with uh, yeah. still is with. Uh, 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 water agency in Riverside, Riverside Public Utilities, and yeah. we appreciate you coming on the show. Like I said, we've grown a whole lot with listeners and awards through the through the, through the nine years, and uh, it's you know it's people like you that came on the show and ma- made the show what it is. It's people that have the background, interesting stories, and things. So, what what have you seen in in the water? And, and maybe you want to tell the listeners who, who weren't listening or didn't know about us nine years ago. What is Valley Soil, and what do you guys do? Well. I, I really think we need to go back before then, Rob. I've known you a yeah. long time. Yeah. I conserve baby, you know, and uh, not, that, not the part that we were cellmates. No, I know. No. This, was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> this has been just a, a wonderful experience. Um, we're only kidding. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, from Aquaconserve to Toro to your radio station. I, I mean, the things that have happened. Uh, in these 20 years it is just phenomenal. You know, um, we started with, you know, uh, just being hired to work with uh, uh, a specific water agency to help some of the agricultural growers, um, you know, get their application rates right and, and uh, monitor subsurface runoff, which I don't think anybody really knows about except agricultural people. Um, we were finding that some of the groves were putting down so much water that they were actually creating riparian habitat in drainage soil because um, that water just leached right through it was not used. So this, you know, that's where we started. And uh, it, it's been a great, great experience ever since with all the creativity that's gone on. Um, you know, the, the uh, manufacturers stepped up and uh, met the need for, um, you know, getting uh, weather-based irrigation controllers, high-efficiency nozzles, drip, turf removal, uh, all of this out there to uh, keep up with uh, and actually ahead 
of uh, mandated laws. So, yeah, it's been a great, great time. I remember meeting you at Rancho California Water District and when uh, we won the award for, I think it was, what, 2,500 or 3,000 smart controllers, and you were the company chosen to do the installation. And you got involved with them not only for that, but for, for nozzle change-outs and, and audits and everything else. You guys, you guys got a great crew. Uh, you know what you're doing, and, and, and I know you expanded all over the state and even out of state. And, uh, you know, you've done, you and your team, uh, you and your lovely wife, Terry, did a great job managing that, and uh, we're, we're happy that we know you and, and all of that. So where do, where do you, I've got one question, I'm going to let Chris jump in and do the rest. Yeah. What, what have you seen the change, or have you not seen the change in the last, say, 10 years, 20 years? Oh, uh, it's been gigantic. Um, what we've really seen is that, you know, during the threat of drought, I won't say drought everywhere, but threat of drought, uh, state agencies, federal agencies, uh, and then passed down to local agencies were looking for some way to save the precious resource of the available water that they have to them. And so, uh, they put in place a series of laws and regulations, um, that, uh, was designed to actually uh, save as much of their potable water as they could. You know, reclaimed water, um, you know, they went into uh, uh, surveys, things like this. But not only that, the water agencies had to step up their game, and they actually created new, um, uh, new opportunities. Uh, they they created uh, conservation managers. They created resource managers. They created all of these people that interacted between um, the water agency and their mandates and the customers on the other end. And and that's pretty much where we come in is that you know we designed and managed these programs for like I said 20 years, and uh, everybody to this day I believe is using some form of the program that we managed way back then, you know, in 2003. So, uh, it's, you know, yeah. Yeah. It's been great. Yeah. So, Chris? Hey, so, Hey, by the way, welcome to the show, Eric. Uh, great to have oh. you back on. I was, I wasn't, I wasn't on the first show. So, uh, no, you weren't. Club no. up. I, I, I had nothing to do with that. Just, just to <laughs> take my case on. <laughs> yeah, but Rob's the professional. Rob's the technical professional. I wasn't quite sure he, where that was coming from, you know? <laughs> he is. So, well, I, I could tell you a couple of things, right? Rob and I certainly uh, uh, agree with you on on the great job that, um, you know, not just Metropolitan State Water, but the local agencies, especially here in Southern California, have done in response uh, to the drought. We've been following it now for, what, eight years, nine years, Rob, and we've, we've had so many people on the show that have expressed <clears> – <throat> Uh, what this, what their agency has done over the years. Um, and it's impressive for sure. But, you know, this, I, I think the shift is still happening, right? We're still seeing a change in, in, in the industry. So, you know, maybe, a, maybe a better way to ask you this question is kind of looking at a forward view, if you will. You know, where do you see California landscape going? Is it a, is it a shift to drip? Is it, um, you know, is it the adoption of smart products? And, you know, what, what kind of where do you see it? Right. And that's very, very interesting because um, we know that it's basically just getting going. Now, it's too bad that we had the uh, shutdown uh, for the COVID uh, 
you know, pandemic that we had because things were just starting to get rolling again. Um, we've actually seen, uh, well, uh, back up a bit. We deal with about 50,000 customers a year. Um, so we get to see a lot of public. And at the beginning of that and all the way up to probably 2015, maybe 2017, um, it was a very hard sell to uh, come into a residence or a small commercial program and especially a homeowner association and present these products uh, and present these services because people were a little uncertain about them. But what we're seeing is we're seeing just a great adaptation of these throughout the industry. We're, we're actually having people that we had contacted probably in about 2018 coming back to us and saying, Hey, what can I do? You know, what, what, you know, how, how can you help us or how can I get my contractor to help us uh, go ahead and save water? And I, you know, I think the budget restrictions that water agencies placed on homeowners and things like this um, got a lot of people thinking, and I don't know too many people who got fined because they were very adaptive. And today, um, you can go into any place and, and you can talk water conservation to almost anybody and they're on board. Uh, you know, we had challenges obviously, uh, with commercial people thinking that, okay, this company is going to come in and step on my toes, and whatever. No, our goal was just to try to get them to move forward because it's a profit center for them. And ultimately they took the ball and ran with it and are now helping their customers out. And, and they're looking great. You know, their their customers are saving water, saving money, um, and, and everybody's happy. And, and even the gardeners that used to really uh, drag their feet in accepting these products finally are recognizing. And, and I think probably 2019 was the breakthrough where they're actually recognizing that, um, you know, I can put in a weather-based controller and have confidence in knowing how to use it. And I can put in high-efficiency nozzles and have confidence that I know how to use them. And then once they see the uh, turf removal program, uh, you know, that was another profit center out there for these people. But ultimately, it's a, I have no idea, millions and millions of gallons of potable water. Um, drip conversions were are, are booming. Um, we have a couple of... Uh, uh, water agencies that we're working with now um, that have offered this, and now that the drought is over, uh, we expected to see uh, you know a lot of these resistant customers um, come back and say, "No, no, you know, I, I, I want to maintain uh, the way I'm doing it." The opposite has happened. It's these customers are now recognizing that yes, I want to be a part of a turf removal program. I want to do California-friendly natives. I want to put in drip irrigation. You know, I had 22 valves. Now I'm down to seven. Um, you know, they're, they're keeping their functional turf, which may be around a pool area or something like this. Um, but, yeah, it, it, the, the adaptation has just been explosive. It's great. Yeah, I agree with you, you know, in turf, because, you know, I'm one of those folks that converted to some California natives and some of my property. I, I still like my green grass. And, uh, you know, everybody, sure. if you listen to the show before, everybody, uh, you know, everybody uh, knows it. But, 
you know, the the common saying right now, you know, if you don't use it, lose it, right? On the on on the right. turf, if it's not functional turf, then you know, then uh, uh, then use it. Um, and I've got I've got uh, neighbors that uh, you know have jumped on the same thing. I mean, up here where I live in Claremont, California, uh, it's been it's the 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 change from um, non-functional turf to California native is like. You can't even walk your dog around here without four or five neighbors right in the middle of doing the conversion. So it, I see it, and it's and it's real. And I'm not sure it's just it's only just here in in Claremont. It's all over Southern California. It, well, Southern and Middle California too. Um, you know, as a matter of fact, you know, water agencies are actually doing. And Rob knows this. We've been judges on the uh, on a uh, a water agency uh, native plant landscape renovation awards program and to where they they uh, take a look at the best uh they you know maybe dollar size maybe you know landscaped area size you know to recognize the people that have actually done this for the beauty that they actually bring to the community um you know i i know there you know there's homeowner associations that have been hesitant to do this because they have their ccnrs but um, we're seeing a change there too. Um, and, and you're right, Chris. Uh, you know, functional turf is is needed, and it's beautiful in its right uh, right area. We just don't need to see thousand square feet of it in somebody's front yard. You know, yeah. You know, Eric, you and I've been through enough with different different scenarios, and I know you have it a little harder because you're you're out there with the, with the shovel and everything else. But you know, the two ones that uh, I remember we did. The one you just mentioned was up in Apple Valley, uh, where yeah. we did we did we did a project with that. And then, uh, if you remember, I don't remember the lady's name. It was in Temecula. They owned a, uh, a Denny's. I, no, no, and it wasn't Denny's. A Sizzler, and she, right. uh, the owner the owner of the house had a uh, beautiful house, beautiful property, but she had this special area for her rose bushes. Remember, she had a, a separate person who would come in and, and take care of the roses versus a regular landscaper. And it was hard right. for them. To, it was hard for the lady taking care of the roses to understand how the smart controller worked. And right. That was that, that was yeah. That was just a difficult situation. And, and and you're right. You know, way back then, this is this was all new to people. They had no idea when you talk about ET. They just thought that was a movie, not evaporation. You know, evapotranspiration. Right. And that's us. It was a difficult time going through and trying to explain. How, how how the system worked. But we had a customer in in uh, Florida. You happen to be an attorney, but every morning his 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 lawn sprinklers went off at six thirty in the morning. He would bring a chair and sit in front of the controller to make sure it, it came on. Didn't yeah. trust him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, well, which, which beautiful, you know, because nowadays with the advancement of these uh, smart controllers, you know, uh, w- you know everybody can buy them they're relatively inexpensive and right. you can manage them and you can operate them anywhere in the world uh, i mean that is huge and you know combined it with a uh, say one of the wireless uh, flow sensors or yeah uh, flow sensor out there and you can actually get data uh, that'll let you know no matter where you are if you have a leak if you have something going on if something did irrigate if something did not irrigate you know, uh, the innovation is happening, and I, I really think that we're kind of at—we're we're not at the beginning. We're probably 
five steps into it, but I think it's going to get much, much more uh, intense, which is fantastic. Yeah. Oh, I, I do too. I, I think the time's coming for wireless valves. I see yeah. that as a, as a future thing and a whole bunch of other things. I'm sure not only our company, but the competition, I'm not going to go off and tell them what we're working on, but, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of technology that's still growing because the, the world really needs it. And, and the best, you know, I don't look at my competitors, the competitors, I mean, we're all, we all have a little, we're all in the same boat, except we all have special niche, niches that the other ones don't. And, uh, but right. if, you know, you buy from the big three, you're doing well. And uh, there's a lot of companies that come in and they're very small, they're underfunded, they always want a bigger company to buy them, which maybe doesn't happen. And then, you know, they sell all this equipment, and then a year later, the people that own all that stuff is out, out of luck because they can't get them fixed. Right. The company's out of business. Right. So exactly. It's tough. Where, where, do yeah. you see, where, where do you see landscapes going, and, and, and where do you think the future of water is in California? Well, I, I think we need to be smart with water, um, I, I think the landscape side of things is heading in the right direction. Um, municipalities, cities, uh, you know, whatever, they're, they're stepping up their game. Uh, they have regulations in place saying that when you do a landscape uh, plan, your irrigation must uh, be able to conserve X amount of water or not water over a set amount. Usually it's like, uh, you know, 0.4 of evapotranspiration which means that you've got to have a lot of, uh, you know, uh, drought tolerant or water-wise or native plants out in the field. And a lot of it's got to be on drip irrigation. So, you know, we see that happening, um, you know, and, and as far as water goes, we've been, you know, watching and pushing because I know way back when everybody voted for these uh, water retention programs where they were going to, build reservoirs, where the uh, Delta conveyance was going to happen, you know, all of these things that could make us more sustainable down here. And even in, uh, you know, uh, you know, Central California, you know, are just slow. You know, you, you, you know, there is a lot of, uh, you know, bureaucracy that you have to deal with. And um, we think now that with this, quote, drought is over situation, uh, what we've seen is people are not going back to the old way they used to do things, which is great. And they're also now that they're, they're aware of um, the need to conserve water. So we're hoping that uh, the retail water agencies, you know, grab that and actually use that um, to make sure that their storage capacity is reasonable and it doesn't get, you know, down into the, uh, you know, panic situation where they're getting real low. I know of one uh, water agency that uh, their reservoir was going to dry out last October, you know, uh, and it didn't uh, because they were able to uh, get everybody on board, uh, reduce water. They had us in there doing our thing, um, you know, and, and the, the education was great. So, I think people are going to be smarter. I would just like to see more storage capacity because they're still building houses, you know? Um, yeah, we've got oh, yeah. Any... Well, with your knowledge, Chris and I are going to W the czar of water in California. We're going to give you a new title. And okay. maybe, maybe you can <laughs> tell us what would be no the top. No pay rate, though. Yeah, yeah. So what, yeah. What, would be the, what would be the top three projects that you would want California to do? 
whether it's infrastructure, uh, you know, all, all of this stuff. Yeah, I, I would like to speak the Delta Advance, and that way we could protect the bay somewhat, uh, you know, and have a more reliable water supply down here and not have to worry about a, a little tiny imported fish. Um, mm -hmm. I think we do need a little more storage capacity, um, and I do think we need to actually uh, get with, uh, you know, the, the, the state government to get down to the local agencies to say, uh, with your local agencies, you have X amount of acre feet of water that you could use. It's yours to uh, use it as you see fit, but if you're going to uh, build new homes, build new whatever, you're going to have to tell us where you're getting that water and, uh, you know, have a drought plan. Okay, if we go into a drought, you know, and you need more water, we may not be able to deliver it. So, yeah, it's kind of a threefold thing. Yeah. yeah. Other than that, I go ahead and kneecap somebody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Sorry, Chris. Uh, Rob, can I tag? Let me let me tag back on just a little bit on the transition train again. You were talking because Eric, yes. you said, you, yeah, you made a comment. <clears throat> Oh, you made a point in one of your previous comments there about how Valley Soil gets ahead of the mandates and all that kind of stuff. And, and, I, and, and I know you do because, Rob, and I know your business pretty well. But listen, I'd be interested yeah. to hear your insight on what all, of, you know, what all of these new ordinance means, you know, all the water sense stuff for controllers and sensors and sprays. And, of course, the new one coming down the pipe now looking at uh, specifying what an efficient nozzle is. So, has, you know, has these, have these ordinances helped you? Or, or hurt you, Eric? No. Uh, they, once we're able to talk to somebody, anybody, uh, we're able to explain very concisely what it is we're trying to do, uh, how we're going to do it, what the benefit is going to be to them, and the fact that they aren't going to see any reduction in the health of their plant material, um, you know, uh, and uh, that whatever local water agency is not going to take control of their water and through these devices. It, it's, it's helped amazingly. Um, we love the high efficiency nozzles. Uh, Toro makes a great product, the Toro Precision Nozzle. Uh, we think that is, stands above the others simply from the fact that I can take a nozzle and I can replace a nozzle with the same arc pattern, same throw distance, and save 30% of the water right now. And I don't have to go back in and adjust the controller runtime. So a homeowner doesn't really know he's saving water until he looks at his bill. And then he's going, well, how did this happen? Well, you allowed us to put in high-efficiency nozzles. Now, there's a lot of good ones out there, don't get me wrong. But generally speaking, some you actually have to run longer uh, to get a comparable amount of water on them. But most others use uh, the same amount of water, but in a, a higher-efficiency pattern. And so nobody actually reduces the controller runtime like it should be. So uh, there's a learning curve still in there for, um, you know, some contractors and homeowners and things like this. Uh, yeah, so um, it, it's helped immensely. Um, you know, we're now, boy, I, I think we're at 630,000 plus nozzles. And I know we're over 50,000 weather-based irrigation controllers. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty impressive. So well, far, it, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go finish. I'm sorry. 
We're, 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 all oh, remote, okay. we're all remote to each other right now, so it's kind of hard. It's not like sitting in the studio like we were the first time where we're right yeah. next to each other. Yeah. So, so go ahead. I remember that. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> so, you know, like, like I said towards the beginning, you know, the, the controllers now are cheap enough to where there's no excuse for uh, any homeowner not to own a weather-based controller from any manufacturer. And there's still um, rebates, right? I, uh, to those people, we used to operate on uh, direct installs where we would get the rebate and deduct that from the price of our work to a water agency, but those have gone away for us. Uh, they're still there for a homeowner wanting to do this. No problem. Uh, get yourself some high efficiency analysis too while you're out there. You know, yeah. So how can our listeners, our new listeners who haven't heard you before, how do they find Valley Soil? How can they contact you guys? Uh, well, if they're in Southern California, we're well, we're pretty much a known entity around a lot of different places. But um, you can just give us a call at uh, 951-767-2215, or you can just type in Save Water, that's Save Water, at valleysoil.com. And someone will get back to you definitely within a day. Great. Well, Eric, I really appreciate you coming on. Again, congratulations to you and Terry for 20 years in business. Uh, you guys you guys have always been great to work with, great people on on work and off work. And uh, I do appreciate that I, I met you a long time ago and still call you my friend. Absolutely. You're my friend, too. Hey, uh, just one thing, Rob. Okay, yeah. back, in the, back in the Aqua Conserve days, we saw that changes may be made. So we went ahead and bought a bunch of aqua conserved panels. Yeah. We just gave our last we just gave our last one away last year. <laughs> yeah, fantastic story. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Well thanks again. We're due up to our NBC News hour, so we gotta say goodbye and we appreciate you coming on and say hi to Terry and the rest of the family. We'll do. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Terry. All right everybody sure. we'll Bye. be talking We'll be talking to you next week. Have a good, safe week, and uh, stay cool if you're in a hot area. And remember, the most important thing that Chris and I tell you to do is please help keep help our planet blue. Planet blue. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night, Chris. Good night, world. Good night, Rob. KCAA Loma Linda. The Legacy KCAA 1050 AM and Express 103.5.